So last week, <clears throat> Ken uh, gave us a, a great message, and it was a message uh, that the Apostle Paul was addressing to the church in Corinth. And we're in his series, um, starting in 1 Corinthians, and we'll go all the way to the end of 1 Corinthians. And today we're in uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Last week, Ken explained to us that Paul was really, really concerned uh, about a problem or about the multiple problems that were happening in the church of Corinth. And, and he chose to address one that was a very, very important problem, and that was a, a problem of disunity among the believers. And this week we're going to take a, take a look at the same chapter, verses 18 through 25. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 25, or you can follow me on the screen above. Let me read together. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment and the discerning I will thwart. Where is, he, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So last week, we saw that the church in Corinth was a church in crisis. And there were a number of divisions that had presented themselves there. It's not much different from the church today. In Paul's day... Uh, especially in the city of Corinth, intellect was very, very important. And our, being able to stand up and articulate a speech or a position or debate was of super importance. And that thought life had crept into the church and it had begun to bring division. There were people in the church who had kind of formed these fan clubs about who they were following. And it's much the same in our fellowships today. Sometimes we see fan clubs that come up. Oh, I follow this preacher and I can't wait till he comes on television. Or uh, have you heard so-and-so in his latest podcast and he's just the greatest preacher. And if you haven't heard that, then you haven't heard God's word delivered. It could even creep into the worship set up here. Well, Matt's going to play today and I can't wait because every time Matt comes and leads worship, I just am brought into the presence of God. And others might say, well, it's really Phil's style that I like the best. And really when I, Phil's up here leading, then I feel like Phil leads us into the presence of God. And others saying, no, no, it's Marissa when she's working the keyboards. You see what happens? Division can creep into our congregation. 
I like it when Jonathan speaks, or I like it when Sean speaks, or when Pastor Ken speaks, I really understand. And so if one of those other guys are there, I'm not coming to church. I'm only coming when Phil's leading worship. Division creeps in the church. And that was a problem that was happening in the church of Corinth. And Paul knew that that disunity had to be addressed and had to be addressed immediately. Ken took us to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, where it says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. So it could have been Chloe and her family or Chloe and the follower of Chloe's that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. And so Paul is super concerned about this fan club. He's concerned that people are saying, I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of Apostle, I'm a follower of Cephas or, or Peter. And then some people are like, well, I only follow Christ. And Paul is super, super concerned that this division is going to destroy the church in Corinth. And he's realized that just like today, the society around the Corinth church has been influencing them and their thinking. And so Paul is wanting to uh, address this fact of division. He knows that there's a lot of other problems. Remember what Ken told us? This book of Corinthians is going to expose a lot of things that took place in Corinth in that church. There's a lot of stuff that's creeped into the church. And today there's a lot of stuff that's creeping into the church and there's things that we're just turning our heads to and saying, well, we don't want to address that because that will be uncomfortable. And Paul needs to address a gamut of issues that are happening in the church of Corinth. But he knows that he has to start somewhere and he knows he has to come back and address a fact that's, that's, uh, that's taking place. And so he wants to address this dog and pony show initially, of who is the best and who's the greatest. And that's what Ken brought to us last week. And then uh, Paul, Ken ended with this verse chapter, in chapter, chapter 1, uh, verse 17. He said, this is Paul's words, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It wasn't about eloquent wisdom and eloquent ways of presenting the gospel. Paul said that he was glad that he didn't baptize a bunch of people because then they would turn into his followers, but that Christ, that God had sent him to preach Christ and Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. He didn't want his eloquent words to muddle up to muddle up the power of the gospel of Christ. And so today, Paul tells us and wants to talk to us and dress to us about worldly wisdom and how worldly wisdom can creep into the church and how worldly wisdom can empty the powerful message across of the cross of Christ. One of the ways of thinking that happens uh, in our churches here in America and around the world, uh, is that the best way to deal with issues and the best way to deal with societies around us is to become uh, just us and us alone kind of a club where we do everything with just the church and church people and people who are followers of Christ. And we kind of build these walls around us and it 
turns into a little little bit of a holy huddle and we become separatists and separatists and we all just kind of protect each other and like a big mother hen we come under the wings of the church and we just huddle there because the world is such a terrible place. And, and, and if you go into the world and all this stuff's going to creep in and so the best thing for us to do is stay away. And that's one, one thought that takes place in churches today. And it was taking place in the church in Corinth in, in that area. And there's another thought and that is that, well, we need to be hip and we need to create programs and we need to create things that makes the cross a little cooler and makes it a little more understandable. And uh, maybe what we need to do is be more contextual. And so we contextualize the message, not, not the medium or the pre- presentation of the message, but we contextualize the message itself and bring it down to where there's no power left in it at all. And that was what was happening in the church of Corinth. And that's what Paul wants to address. And that's what, what he's trying to address here. None of the worldviews or forms of wisdom that were playing out in Paul's day led people to truly know who God was, to a saving faith in Christ. And so Paul knew that we had to get back to basics. Isn't that what happens in, in teams, football, baseball, basketball, and even in soccer? If you want a winning team, you've got to get back to the basics, right, Mike? Everything has to come back to basics. Learning how to dribble, learning how to pass, learning how to shoot, making a proper layup in soccer, learning how to trap the ball, learning how to pass the ball, learning how to dribble the ball, the ABCs, back to the basics. Paul is wanting to bring the church of, F, uh, church of Corinth back to the basics. In verse 21 we read, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In this verse we see wisdom of the world cannot and will not lead anyone to a saving knowledge of Christ. The world's wisdom sees God's wisdom and God's ways as total folly. It says it there in the end. It pleased God through the folly of our preaching to save those who believe. And in verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. So the world and the worldly system looks at God's wisdom and says, This is foolishness. This is total folly. It makes no sense. And in these verses, we see two different kinds of people. We see those who are perishing and those who are being saved. To the perishing, the word of the cross is totally folly or foolishness. And the word there, the Greek word folly, is where we get the word moronic or moron. comes from that. And so basically... In the Greeks' way of thinking and their high intellect and their high wisdom and their seeking and desiring for science, when the message of Christ crucified is interjected, to them they're going, those people are a bunch of morons. It is totally moronic to even think about that. And so there's, those are the group of people who, 
who, uh, who are perishing because the message of Christ makes no sense to them at all. We need to be very, very careful as a church to try not to change the message of Christ in such a way that it is watered down. And we see that all around in our society where the gospel message of Jesus Christ is beginning to be watered down, where this word is not held up to be absolute, infallible, un, uh, is infallible and totally truthful. And that this word, the Bible, is an absolute truth. And all around us, in churches, uh, in the United States, and even around the world, people are trying to change the Word of God to make it more palatable and to make the cross seem more comfortable to people around. The gospel of the cross seems foolish to the unbelieving world because of the nature of man. In verse 22, it says, For the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. So there are two types of people. The Jews who want proof of who Jesus was, and they wanted the benefit from the Messiah. They had taken parts and pieces of the Torah. They had taken parts and pieces of the Old Testament, and they had shaped their understanding of who God was, and they picked and chose who God was, and they pick and choose pieces of it of what the Messiah was going to be like. And so all throughout Christ's ministry, the Pharisees and the scribes in particular would come to him and say, show us a sign. Show us a sign from heaven. And over and over again, Christ would tell parables or he would basically say, no, I'm not showing you a sign because I am who I say I am. I am the Messiah. You see there idea of the Messiah was that, that he was going to come and free them of the rulers and the tyranny of the, of the Romans and that they would one again, once again become a great nation. And the Messiah, when he came, he would feed them and there would be all kinds of side benefits because the Messiah, after all, is the Son of God and he can do anything and so we will have no wants or no needs anymore. And that's what they were looking for. And so in verse 22, it says, the Jews demanded signs. And that's the first type of people. People who demand signs and, and, uh, and, and, and want proof by signs and wonders that God is who he says he is. And the second type are the Greeks. It said, the Greeks seek wisdom. Greeks wanted intellectual debate. They wanted learned speeches. They loved science. They loved debates and science and speeches so much that they had kind of a mini Olympics where all of these famous philosophers and scholars would come together and they would debate one another for a week. And then there would be ultimately one debater who would come to the top. And then people would run to him and flock and sit under his teaching because he was the ultimate debater. And so the Greeks were looking for wisdom through science and through debate and intellect and wisdom that made sense about life and why we existed and, and how the gods created everything and how we can manipulate the gods and all those kind of things. And so there are these two people, 
groups of people in verse 22. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. And Paul goes on in verse 23 and he says, But we preach Christ crucified, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles or moronic to the Gentiles or the Greeks. Paul admits that the preaching of Christ crucified has caused great problems here for the Jews. And the Gentiles think the message of the cross is entirely foolish, crazy, moronic. But Paul is not willing to change any part of the message of the cross of Christ to make it more acceptable and to make it better sounding. As modern Christ followers, we really don't understand what offensive message the, Christ, the cross really is. And the reason I say that is because I would imagine I can look around this congregation, in fact, I'm doing it right now, and I see three crosses that are beautiful, made out of gold, hung around the neck of people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to the Jewish society, what you have around your neck is an implement, implement of is an implement of execution. It would be like you having a gas mask on your on your chain or an, or an electric chair with kind of like smoke coming out of ears when a person's being fried. It would be like back here we had a big mural of Auschwitz in the gas chambers, and and that's kind of what they see when they see the cross. And so to say that God's Son died on the cross and death and execution in the most hideous way is what brings salvation? Are you crazy? You have lost your ever-living mind. Because you see what the Jewish population sees is, let me convert it to us today. They see someone sitting an electric chair strapped down and uh, electricity hitting them, their body pulsing, and their eyes kind of like that, and then pop out and smoke and everything comes out, and then then they smell this smell, and and that's what's going on in their minds. You're like, you're telling me the leader, the one who's going to bring salvation to us, that happened to us, him? There's no power in that. The Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he's going to lead a ruling army. And he's going to set us free from from the Roman rule. And then he's going to reign as ruler. And he's going to provide for all of our needs. And so when the message of the cross is presented to them, as Paul said, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. And now the Greeks or the Gentiles, they're seeking intelligence. They're seeking wisdom. They're seeking learnedness. And so for you to say that a scholar, a really brilliant man, climbed up on a cross on a hideous implement of execution and he died for me and he's supposed to be God of this world, you are an absolute moron. You have no idea what you're talking about. That's a total impossibility. And so that's what's happening to these people is their, their understanding of what's going on in relationship to the, the cross is totally mind-boggling. 
That's not wrong for us to wear jewelry and to have a cross because I know that it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. But for the Jews, it was an offense. It was a terrible offense. And for the, for the Greeks, they, could make no, no, uh, they couldn't discern it. It didn't make sense to them at all. And so these two kinds of people exist today. Um, there are people who follow and decide to become a Christian because if they follow God, then they're going to get all this stuff. They're going to get a new Cadillac. They're going to get a new home. And they're going to get this. And everything's going to be great. Millions of people around the world are following a prosperity gospel, a gospel that's been watered down, a gospel that's not telling the truth about who Jesus really is and what happens when you follow Christ. And then we have the other group of people who are intellectuals and your belief that God created the world and that Christ died on the cross, and here's the real good one, after he was killed, And all those people saw him hang on the cross. You say three days later he rose again. You are crazy. That's just not possible. You can't can't explain that to me mentally. You can't explain, explain that to me scientifically. In no way can you prove that that ever took place. And so we have this intellectual crowd who wants to have nothing to do with the wisdom of God because it's foolishness and folly to them. In, uh, in verses 19 and 20, it says, For it was written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is, it, where is the one who is wise, and where is the scribe, and where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And this, this particular section of Scripture, and especially verse 19, Paul is taking directly out of the book of Isaiah, the 29th chapter and the 14th verse. And, and he's saying, this is God's plan, and this has always been God's plan, to make the wisdom of this world total foolishness and the wisdom of God something that the world can't understand. And he was going to, to thwart the discernment of all of the wise people. And so then he says, where is the wise and where are the scribes, the ones who are following the laws and have a certain way that they expect the Savior to come back. And where are the debaters that are trying to make uh, sense of all this? Has, God's, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so it's not through the wisdom of becoming wealthy and providing for ourselves and taking care of us that we really find happiness and we do have salvation. None of that comes from that. But the world would tell us that's where it comes from. The fact is that there are people today who are looking for a God. If they fulfill all these certain ways, then God will be pleased with them and accept them into heaven. And there's another group of people who think that everything we say about God and cross is total foolishness and that we're morons. And unless God opens their eyes to the wisdom of the cross of Christ, they will never understand. Paul closes this passage, verses 24 and 25, by by stating that once again, but to those who are called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, God is not foolish, but the things that are the most simple to God are astounding to us. 
And so he's taken something that seems to be foolish, which is the cross of Christ, and made it into wisdom. And those of us whose eyes are opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ understand that Christ crucified and raised again is what brings us salvation and what brings us security after this life. And that's what Paul's saying to the church. Let's get back to the basics. Let's come back and look at the cross and let's let all this other stuff, all this high thinking and this religious thinking, let's shed it off and let's come back to the cross because everything under the cross gives direction to our lives. And as, as we go on through Corinthians and keep looking at, at what's going on, we're going to find out that because of the cross, many, many things in our lives and in our society and in the Corinthian society are addressed to bring it under the submission of Jesus Christ. Christ crucified, Christ rose again. It's all because of the cross. No matter how ridiculous it seems, it's God's wisdom. That's His plan. It's not man's plan. And His plan started long, long ago. And that plan is still the same plan for us today. Christ crucified.